I, uh, I absolutely hate artichokes. How many of you like artichokes? Raise your hand. Oh, man. Oh, really? I despise them. I really do despise them. And, uh, but you know, my father, my father and mother both, uh, really, really, really loved artichokes, and they still do to this day. My parents loved them so much. When we were kids, my mom would get, prepare the artichokes, she'd get out the dip, and, uh, we'd, we'd, we'd peel the leaves, and we'd, we'd dip the artichoke leaves, and, and kind of, how do you eat an artichoke? You kind of bite it, right? You scrape it? You kind of you kind of scrape it on your teeth, right? And you kind of pull it out. It's just absolutely disgusting. I can't believe you guys like this. So you take the leaf and you dip it and you just kind of grind it on your teeth there and scrape it off, whatever you're eating. I still don't really understand it. Mayonnaise, butter. Well, you guys are getting real excited about artichokes. Maybe we ought to have uh, some artichokes at the Thanksgiving feast. But I remember my, uh, my folks getting more excited as uh, they peeled back more and more leaves of the artichoke. Because you see, the outer leaves were pretty good, but they were sometimes a bit weathered, a bit hardened. But those inner leaves, as you got in deeper, those inner leaves... They were soft and tender. They were more tasty. And then came the artichoke heart. To which I say, yuck. And my mom and dad say, yum. They would fight over who got to eat the artichoke heart. And usually they would end up splitting it in half. Which they claimed was the tastiest part of all. If I was my father, I might say that this current sermon topic or sermon series that uh, we are exploring, uh, if, if I was my father, I might say that, that this sermon series of knowing God, well, it kind of feels like peeling, unpeeling an artichoke. The further in we go, the tastier it becomes. The more I personally think about it, the more I find myself getting very excited about where I'm headed. Just like my mom and dad would get excited the further in they got to that artichoke. Our quest right now as a church on Sunday mornings as we gather is to know God. Not just to know about Him, but to know Him personally, intimately. And we've learned a few things as we've waded through these first few parts of the study. The first thing we learned was that God knows us exhaustively. God knows me exhaustively. And that's actually really the first step to knowing God, is the realization, the awareness, being conscious of the fact that God knows everything about me, that there's nothing I can hide that all has been laid bare before him, even all of my secrets, even the things I'm ashamed of, the things I would never want to say in public. God knows them. He knew them before I was even born. 
He knows me exhaustively, even those dark things, and yet he still pursues me. He still pursues me by sending his son Jesus to die for me and for all of us. And so that's really a first step to knowing God is the awareness that he knows everything about me and yet he still chooses to pursue me relentlessly. Last week we also looked at um, a, a, a sermon entitled Awe, Fear, Peace, and Rest. A few more words about last week. Uh, the first part, awe. We are to meditate or think about the greatness of God. God is awesome, and we are to think about His awesomeness, His majesty, His glory, if we are to get to know Him more intimately. Thinking about it, meditating upon His greatness is something that should be happening daily. Every day do you think about the greatness of your God. Another word, though, that I wanted to mention about meditation, I believe I've listed it on your outline here, some fill-in-the-blanks. Uh, this is also from J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God. He writes, Meditation is the activity of calling to mind and thinking over and dwelling on and applying to oneself the various things that one knows about the works and ways and purposes and promises of God. Its purpose is to clear, write that down, clear one's mental and spiritual vision of God and to let his truth make its full and proper impact on one's mind and heart. It is a matter of talking to oneself about God and oneself. Write that down. It's a matter of talking to oneself about God and oneself. It is indeed often a matter of arguing with oneself, reasoning oneself out of moods of doubt and unbelief into a clear apprehension of God's power and grace. Its effect is ever to humble us as we contemplate God's greatness and glory in our own littleness, uh, littleness and sinfulness and to encourage and reassure us to contemplate the unsearchable riches of divine mercy displayed in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is meditation in, in, in its Christian definition. It's a fantastic definition. I've never found a better one. Meditation is not what we think of in the East where uh, people sit crisscross with their legs and arms out and going, um. That's not meditation. Meditation in its Christian sense and definition is precisely what J.I. Packer has said here. It's the activity of calling to mind, thinking over, dwelling on, applying to oneself the various things you know about God, dwelling on it, just taking time to think about it, even spending five minutes having read scripture, even spending five minutes having read a verse, five minutes of just sitting and thinking about what you just read is perhaps one of the greatest activities that you can participate in as a believer. It will draw you nearer to God far better than just 
reading for reading's sake. Meditation for five minutes upon one verse of scripture will do you infinite good. It will clear your mental and spiritual vision of God as you let it make an impact on your mind and heart. You'll start to talk to yourself about God and who you are and you'll begin to, he says, argue with yourself. You'll begin to contend with yourself where your mind is going awry as you meditate on God's word. You'll begin to bring yourself back centered on the Lord. Moving yourself from a state of doubt and unbelief to a clear apprehension of God's power and grace. So we've said that meditation, thinking about dwelling on the greatness of God is of infinite importance. It should be happening daily. It should be happening multiple times throughout the day. I was in my backyard the other day my backyard is kind of squeezed. It's, it's kind of crunched. It's not very big. It's, uh, I remember as a kid, I had a pretty big backyard. And, and every time I go out in my backyard, I kind of go, I wish I had my, my backyard that I had as a kid because I feel kind of cramped in my backyard. And uh, as I was in my backyard just the other day with uh, Amelia, our one-year-old, she was just walking around looking at bugs and stuff. And I just got to thinking as I was also contemplating the smallness of my backyard, I started lifting up my eyes and I started paying attention to what was around me. The grass, the flowers, the insects, magnificent insects. I looked up and saw the sky and the clouds and just for a few moments in the backyard with my one-year-old playing with ants, I was meditating on the greatness of God and it was good it was really good and it's something that we just don't do enough and so wherever you are whether you're in a cramped backyard or whether you're in a wide open space would you find in that place time to look up and see the greatness and majesty of God He is a magnificent God, a wonderful creator. He has done great and mighty things. That meditation, that awe that we are to have brings about, we said yes last week, fear in us. It should bring about fear. What do we mean by fear? Well, such thoughts, such meditation of our heart, properly directed, will instill in any man or woman The idea of just how awesome God is and how frail we are before Him. Such thoughts should thus inspire in us a great fear and reverence toward God that results in our humbling. When you are thinking about the greatness of God, a natural byproduct of that is for you to realize just how small you are. Just how insignificant you are. You may think you're someone something great and maybe you are in certain circles of influence people admire you over here or over there and you might think very highly of yourself I challenge you spend five minutes truly meditating on the greatness of God you will lose yourself because his greatness will overshadow anything that you ever thought that you had and it will instill in you it ought to instill in you fear and reverence toward him 
that for us to say, God, you are God, I am not, I am at your mercy. But we don't want to give the impression that to fear the Lord, which is a, a, a theme throughout Scripture, we don't want to give the impression that to fear the Lord, all the, that all that it is is to be trembling before Him, on our knees and shaking before Him. That's not what it is. The psalmist said, we learned last week, Psalm 103, that the fear of the Lord, he says it three times, maybe even four, he says the fear of the Lord allows for God's grace and mercy to flow fresh to you. God doesn't leave us on our knees. The psalmist says that God's great grace and mercy especially abounds to those who fear him. He doesn't leave us shaking. Instead, he sees our sacrificial pose before him and he stoops down to us like he did in Christ. And he lifts us up that we might be his sons and daughters. He exalts the humble. He lifts us up what we're Uh, when we honor him as we ought to. And as he does, we cannot help but thank and praise him. It brings about peace and rest in us. We go from awe and awesomeness, looking up at the greatness of God, to a fear, to a recognition of our own finiteness and how limited we are. And then God says, but wait a minute, I still come down and relentlessly pursue you. And that leaves us with peace and rest in him. J.I. Packer puts it in another way later on in his book, on your outline in the very middle. He says, use each truth that we learn about God into matter for meditation before God, leading to prayer and praise to God. I'll say it again. Use each truth that we learn about God into matter for meditation before God leading to prayer and praise to God. Couldn't put it better. Getting to, med- getting to that place of meditation though is so hard. You've got your cell phone on 24-7. I know you do. You keep it by your bed, really? On by your bed? So that it dings ten times in the night? You're on the computer. You're on the internet. You're on the TV. You're looking at information. Information. You want to know who won on Dancing with the Stars. Who took first prize on American Idol. You want to know about what's going on in politics and in sports and in the world of Hollywood. Information. You want the music on. You want the radio on. You're going to school. You have events to go to. Kids sports, activities. It's endless. Sometimes I look at my calendar and I just cringe, and I know you do too. If you're like me, you've, you've got a big full calendar and it's just loaded with uh, different you know, things that you're doing throughout the day. Would you do this? Would you try this? Instead of just putting in your calendar a 3 p.m. Uh, coffee meeting with a friend, Would you instead each day also put in an appointment to meditate on God? I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious. On your calendar, on your schedule, whatever you do on a daily basis to get organized and get ready, put on it five minutes, ten minutes, 
whatever you have, 20 minutes if you've got it, to say, I'm going to take this time, I'm going to read a small portion of God's word, and I'm, I'm just going to think about it. I'm going to think about it for 15 minutes. That's all I'm going to do. Or I'm going to sit in my car for 20 minutes just silent before God and just, just quietly before Him. Just to see if in my stillness before Him He has something to teach me. So many things happening. That's why the psalmist's words are more apropos now than ever. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. That was a little bit of clarity from the, the past couple messages. On to this one, finally. Part three, I've entitled it, Hearts Unceasingly Open Before Him. Hearts Unceasingly Open Before Him. Tozer writes this on your outline, and I prefaced it with the words, God wants to be known, yet we stubbornly refuse to fully open ourselves to Him. Tozer writes, to know God is at once the easiest and the most difficult thing in the world. It is easy, because the knowledge is not won by hard mental toil, but is something freely given. As sunlight falls free on an open field, so the knowledge of the holy God is a free gift to men who are open to receive it. But this knowledge is difficult because there are conditions to be met. And the obstinate nature of fallen man does not take kindly to them. I might put it another way. God wants to be intimate with you. He wants to know you and for you to know Him. He's ready. He's willing to develop a healthy and thriving relationship with you. He's ready. But you aren't. And why aren't you ready? Because while your minds have learned a lot about God, you've read the Word, you've been in church, you participated in Bible studies, you know a lot of, about Him. While our mind is learning a lot about God, we still hold back from Him a piece of our heart. And until we unconditionally open and lay bare all of our heart before Him, we cannot expect for our relationship with Him to flourish. And so I ask you, do you desire a deep, intimate relationship with God? Is that your desire? On your outline at the bottom, to have a deep, intimate, thriving relationship with the Lord, let your heart, let your heart be unceasingly open before Him. Turn over to the Gospel of Matthew. It's also listed there on your outline if you'd like, but I prefer that you see it in your Bibles if you could, so we can mark it up, take some notes. In Matthew 11, Jesus is speaking to the multitudes, Pharisees, disciples, many others. He's interacting with them about the knowledge of God, about how to know God, about who knows God and who doesn't, and what are the keys to knowing God. And he says quite plainly in Matthew 11 that no one knows God except the Son. 
and that the Son holds the keys to the knowledge of God. Read what he says again in verse 27 of Matthew 11. Jesus says, All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal the Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. You know, at first glance, such a statement might deflate you, right? For the reader of Matthew eleven twenty seven might well be a person who deeply desires to know God. And they might come to this verse and ask themselves as they read that no one knows the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. So they might come to that verse and they might ask themselves, really, is there nothing that I can do to know God more deeply? Will my quest to know God be cut short if the Son chooses not to reveal this knowledge to me? It's what it says. And the one to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. It seems to be completely and utterly in the hands of Christ. Indeed, if Jesus' teaching on the knowledge of God were limited to verse 27, an honest man, if, if the Bible's teaching and what Christ has said about the knowledge of God was limited to verse 27, an honest man, an honest reader might think that God was playing games with him, tricking him as it were, as if God were urging him, come, come, know me, but then restricting such access by the heavy hand of his son. But verse 27 is not all there is in Jesus' teaching about the knowledge of God. Jesus isn't tricking you He isn't limiting the knowledge of God to whomever has the right code or solves the right riddle. Actually, just the opposite. Jesus and the scriptures bear witness to a wide, open, limitless invitation to come and know God. It begins on the back of your outline in a book like Isaiah, in which the prophet citing the words of the Lord, says this, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. It's free. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, what is not nutritious, helpful, fulfilling? Why do you spend, why do you spend all your time on this? And your wages for what does not satisfy Listen carefully to me. Eat what is good. Let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live. And I'll make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. The unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. And he'll have mercy on him. And return to our God. For he will abundantly pardon him. Revelation, Christ bears witness of this. It says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. 
Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. First and foremost, we come to God, we come to the knowledge of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And that that offer of salvation is given freely to everyone from the beginning of Scripture to the end. It is offered to everyone, to all and sundry, without price, without payment, completely free. Jesus came, he died, he rose, and he says to you and I, believe on me and you will live forever. Believe on me, Jesus says, and you will know who God is. You will be given the gift of everlasting life and that the essence of that life is the knowledge of God, according to John 17, 3. So then what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty seven, that he holds the keys to the knowledge of the Father, the Son, whoever the Son chooses to reveal him. It's not a, 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 a we can read that and wonder, is there, is there nothing I can do? No. We've already established in Scripture that the offer of salvation is open to all. The knowledge of God is available to all. So then what did Jesus really mean? in Matthew eleven twenty seven, as he was speaking. Well, let's continue on and read the rest of the story. Matthew eleven twenty seven through 30, the middle of your outline now. Let's read it again. All things, Jesus says, have been delivered to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So come to me, he says, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How do we come to the knowledge of God? First, by faith in Christ. Isaiah 55, Revelation 22, limitless other verses. We come to the knowledge of God first by faith. But then Jesus is speaking of a different kind of knowledge in Matthew 11. Of a different kind of knowledge altogether. He's speaking of an intimate, deep, earnest, thriving, healthy, ever-deepening knowledge of God that goes far beyond the initial knowing God by faith, that goes further and deeper and further in. This is a sanctifying kind of knowledge, the kind of knowledge that some Christians uh, begin to embark upon, others barely even make the journey. Jesus is speaking about a kind of knowledge of him and the Father that goes so much deeper. And he says to those who desire the knowledge of God, to those who desire to know the Father who has been perfectly known through the Son, Jesus gives us a unique directive 
to get to that knowledge. A very unique directive, a very unique command. It's a strange one. He says, you want to know God? Give all of yourself to me, Jesus says. Lay all of yourself at my feet. Come to me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. It is strange that Jesus speaks about knowing God, knowing the Father, knowing Him, and then immediately proceeds to say, would you give me everything? Would you stop holding on? Would you disclose it to me? You hold so many things secret, and it's so ridiculous, as if you're hiding it from God. He says, stop. Do you wish to know me? Then come to me. I already know your labors. I already know what you're going through. But when you finally come and lay it before me bare and naked and say, God, here it is. I have, I have nowhere else to go. Jesus says, then that's when I'll give you rest. That's when you'll finally start to get it. That's when you'll finally start to know me, to know the Lord in a way that's far deeper than you ever thought you could. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm going to be gentle with you. Lowly in heart, you'll find rest, not fear. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. To know God, we must give all of ourselves to him. We must lay all of ourselves at his feet. And that's a scary thing to do. It's a scary thing to lay bare uh, the things of our lives that others might know them, that the Lord might know them. But there's going to be some really, really, really good results. And if you want to know God, these results are going to far outweigh how scary it is to lay everything moment by moment unceasingly at his feet. Finishing up what we had said earlier on your outline, to have a deep, intimate, thriving relationship with the Lord, first we we let our heart be unceasingly open before him that he might do what? That he might draw you nearer to him by giving you exactly what you need whether it be relief review reproof realignment or reward i'll say it again to have a deep intimate thriving relationship with the lord let your heart be unceasingly open before him why why do we give it to him here's the benefits that he might draw you nearer to him in relationship by giving you exactly what you need whether it be relief review reproof realignment or reward you know a lot of times in relationships i i interact uh, friendships and or different acquaintances or anybody uh, someone just that i've never met before and it, uh, there's always different expectations right there's different expectations sometimes the person across from you they want you to be their best friend and they expect you to be with them all the time to 
to call them back, to, to text them back, to say, I'm going to drop things at a moment's notice. Then there are other friends who are like, you know, whenever you get around to it, let's hang out, no big deal. And there's everything in between. And we have different expectations. We think we know what we want from a friendship or from a relationship, but we're not quite sure. And, and if the other person's not willing to give it back anyway, then it's kind of awkward asking for it, right? Relationships are hard. There's different expectations, often unmet expectations. And it's constantly an art form. But you see, the, the thing about uh, human relationships is that we often assume, wrongly, we often assume that we know what we need from the other person. I know what I need from you. I need you to do this. I know what I need from you. I need you to sit down with me an hour a day and let me just get everything off my chest. We assume wrongly, often, in human relationships that, that we know what the other person should be giving us. Not true here. In relation to God, He knows what we need. He knows exactly what we need. And the only way, the only way He will be able to give that to you is when you open up your heart unceasingly before him and say, whatever you want, I'm open. What do I need? Relief? Review? Reproof? Realignment? Reward? I was very proud of my five R's. Are you guys proud of my five R's? I had three R's and I was like, oh, come on. I can make it four. And then I got to four and I said, come on, baby, let's go to five R's. Because I know how much you guys just love that alliteration there. First, God will give you relief if you need it. If you need it. What do I mean by that? We just read it in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest if you need it. Take my yoke. Learn from me. You'll find rest for your souls. If you need rest, God knows it. He'll give it to you. But guess what? You've got to open your heart. You will not be at peace. Whatever you're struggling with, sin, a relationship, a struggle of any kind, you will not find peace in that endeavor until you give it to God and say, it's, it's just completely yours. That's the, that's the only time that you could possibly expect to find peace and rest. It's when you give it over to Him. But you don't know what you need. Sometimes you need something else. Sometimes you need review. And what I mean by that is inspection. Inspection. I'm going to go through these quickly, but you can read them at home. Psalm 139, verses 23 to 25. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my anxieties. See if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, God. I open my heart to you. Review me. How many of you guys like uh, employment reviews? Not many. Those aren't fun. They can be a little scary. Let God review you. Bear your heart. Inspect me. Where am I awry? Show me. Holy Spirit, show me what I do not see in me. Maybe another person could help with that review. Maybe an elder. 
A respected spiritual leader could help with that review. You might need reproof and you don't even know it. Meaning reprimand or admonishment. My mom used to say, don't use this word, but hey, it's right here in Scripture. Proverbs 12.1 Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. It's right there in the Scriptures. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. Proverbs 12.1 Stupid. You are ignorant. The Scriptures bear witness. If you never seek instruction, reproof, reprimand, admonition, you need to seek it. You need to seek it from God first. I would also challenge you to seek it from your spouse. They may have already given it. If they haven't, they're holding their tongue. Will and Emily will learn about this one day, many, many days from now. Seek reproof from the Lord. Open your heart and say, God, would you correct me? Would you rebuke me? Hey, there's another R, rebuke. What about realignment? Realignment, what I mean by this is, look, I, it, my, my car, right? I have a real masculine Honda CRV that I drive. And as I'm driving down the road, I'm noticing often that, that you know, there's nothing wrong physically with the car, but, but there's, well... The wheels are out of alignment, right? And so your car can be just, the engine can be humming along perfectly, but if your wheels are out of alignment, you're going to be going off track. And you might assume also in, the spirit, in your spiritual life with Christ, you might assume that, hey, everything's going okay. Like I'm, I'm on the straight and narrow, I'm, I'm living a moral life, I'm, I'm participating in church, but you know what? Your alignment could be off. You need realignment, you need correcting, you need straightening. Enter by the narrow gate, wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, Jesus says, and there are many who go by in it. Narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way that leads to life, and few find it. Now I'm talking about a kind of alignment with God that takes you to a whole new level of intimacy with Him. You can be going in the general direction that you're supposed to be headed, but I'm talking about lockstep with the Lord, seeing Him clearly, and pursuing Him as He's pursued you. Meditating on the things that are, that are true and noble and just and pure, as Philippians says. And finally, maybe God wants to give you a reward. And this is important too. Because guess what? You need motivation to bear your heart. You need something that's an incentive to do it. Because if, if all we're doing is burying our heart and just getting beaten down every time, then, then the chances of us wanting to bear our heart are going to go slim to none. But when we realize that when we open up our life to God... And he gives us relief when we need it. When he gives us review and reproof and realignment when we need it. Sometimes also he'll look at us when we've opened it and he'll say, you know what? You're doing great. Well done. Your life is humming right now with me. And I love it. Hebrews says, without faith it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And Jesus says in Matthew that blessed are the pure in heart. And what, what's the reward? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When you are walking 
in the spirit with the Lord, bearing your heart before him, being open and honest at all times, ready and willing to hear anything from him. He may look upon you and say, you're doing great. And I'm going to reveal more of myself to you because of the pureness of your heart. Packer closes bottom of your outline. Knowing God is more than knowing about Him. It is a matter of dealing with Him as He opens up to you and being dealt with by Him as He takes knowledge of you. Knowing God is more than knowing about Him intellectually. It is a matter of dealing with Him as He opens up to you and being dealt with by Him as He takes knowledge of you. But He cannot do that until you open up your heart. Hearts unceasingly open before Him, saying, God, what do you want? Today, what do you want? Do you want to give me relief? I need it, I'll take it. But I've got to give it to you. Do you want to review me? I haven't done a review in a while, God. It's scary to do. But will you just examine me? Do you need to reprove me? Realign my heart with yours. Or God, would you reward me? Would you bless me today? I am fighting the fight. And I want more of you today. Getting closer to the knowledge of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I think we are learning, God, I know I am, that uh, we've learned a lot about you. We have. Uh, that's been a legacy at here, especially at Coast, a lot about you. We know a lot about uh, your word, your nature, your attributes, your works, your promises. We know many of these things, theology, doctrine, your commands, what you expect of us, the to-dos. We know a lot about you. But God, we want a deeper knowledge. We want a knowledge that goes into the heart, from the mind into the heart. And God, that knowledge is deeper and further in. It's not weathered and, weathered and hardened kind of knowledge on the outside. It's a soft and a tender kind of knowledge that's tastier. That as we go deeper in and let you open up our heart, that God, we find an intimacy with you that, that just goes further. We begin to see you more clearly and see ourselves more clearly. That's what we want, God. So Lord, would you help me and our people here to open up our hearts. Help us, Holy Spirit, to be soft and humble and open, ever asking you to give us exactly what we need. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.